We've known each other a long time. I feel like I need to be honest with you. This story makes me want to leave my body. Leave Trump alone, forget the story. There's no question. You threaten someone uh, with a $20 million lawsuit, it's a thuggish tactic. In fact, the exact sentence used was, they can make your life hell in many different ways. And welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So there's no real news here in Trump world. Snooze. Ugh, the executive branch, tedious paperwork, the odd ceremony, the endless security briefings, keeping all those heads of state with their weird names and identical looking congressmen, keeping them all straight, asking politely after their wives and the correspondence and those donors. I mean, it takes such a devotion to detail, such high principle, a capacity to listen, patience for policy wonkery, not to mention a commitment to rigid family values and a tolerance for those squares in D.C. to be the American president. I mean, yawn. As Calvin Coolidge put it, I think the American public wants a solemn ass as president. And I think I'll go along with them. A solemn ass. You know, if you're looking to understand the presidency pre-Trump, you could do worse than look to Camp David, the president's retreat. That place turns out to be a library of rich commentary on who the American president is expected to be. You can find out looking around Camp David that what the president's leisure time is expected to entail was, well, Camp David is not a place to relax after the stress of presidential life. It's an antidote to the tedium of that post. At Camp David, stimulation means horseshoes, rocking chairs, s'mores, and mosquitoes amid the scent of citronella. It's camp, in other words. And I miss having a president who liked or at least respected this kind of Boy Scout stuff. I miss the solemn asses who thought a good time was tetherball. And I hate the unsolemn ass who thinks a good time is a beauty pageant in a casino with prostitutes and chicken McNuggets and human traffickers. But that's what we have. On the show today is Emily Jane Fox. She's a senior reporter at Vanity Fair, and we're going to get into all things Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen. But before that, we have a message from Washington to that special someone out there. Welcome to Back Channel FM. I'm your host, Denyla. Back Channel FM is the place to share all the dedications you'd rather not have anyone here because they could bring down your presidency or whatever. Tonight's dedication comes from Prez D at The Residence and goes out to a certain stormy lady. Prez D says, Stormy, I saw you on 60 Minutes this weekend, and it reminded me of being in your arms for one-thirtieth of that increment of time in a hotel bed. Why you got a rag on me, lady? I thought we had something. Something that you were legally required not to talk about. I guess it was the classic, age-old tale of boy meets girl at a charity golf tournament, And then he makes her sign an agreement not to discuss it, but then forgets to sign it, so she tells all. (laughs) Everyone's been there. Well, Presti, your back-channel dedication is safe with the Denyla. This one goes out to that stormy lady. Here's Eddie Rabbit, and I love a rainy night. You know it makes me feel good. 
Well, I love a rainy night, such a beautiful sight. I love to feel the rain on my face, taste the rain on my lips. Today's sketch was written and performed by Kate James. Joining me on the line is Emily Jane Fox. She's a senior reporter at Vanity Fair and has a book coming out about the Trump kids called Born Trump. Emily, welcome to Trumpcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a big fan. So let's um, let's talk about the Stormy Daniels interview as prelude to talking about Michael Cohen as prelude to talking about the Trump family because he is one of the family, Michael Cohen. So there is. <laughs> you tell me just your takes on the interview. It is a stunning thing that on a Sunday evening in the second year of a presidential term that we have someone who is an adult film actress talking about an alleged affair with the sitting president of the United States and having people say, well, maybe that was a little disappointing. So (laughs) it it is just an unbelievable fact that people were not shocked, outraged, you know, rioting in the streets over the, the simple reality of it. But but it does seem to turn on that, which is the electorate's sort of immunity to scandal, the scandal part of these things, and also what seems to be Cohen and Trump's having tacitly copped to the scandal part of this stuff. I think that the American electorate doesn't care. They, they yeah. didn't care when a dozen plus other women came forward. They didn't care when they heard candidate Trump bragging about grabbing people's genitals in his own words, and his own voice, they voted on that. So they didn't care whether or not anyone else cares. His supporters, it just didn't bother them. And that's fine. And also, I have to say, what the president decides to do in his own bedroom or his own hotel room uh, is between him and his wife and his God. And it's not really anyone's business. The issue here, to me at least, is the payments. And I think... That fact alone drove so much attention, and there were so many questions to ask, but I think Stormy Daniels was a victim of the hype cycle leading up to it that wasn't necessarily her own hyping of this. Her lawyer was on television for two weeks making all sorts of claims saying, I'm going to throw out this possible thing of a a CD with maybe pictures or videos or something on it. And I'm going to say there was a threat. And I'm not going to say any more because you're going to have to tune into 60 Minutes on Sunday, March 25th. And so it was built up to be this moment where we were maybe going to find a smoking gun. And because there wasn't necessarily this on-fire gun, people were left feeling a little bit disappointed or maybe misled. Um, But still people watched it. I mean, I think I agree that there was bait and switch and that her, I think, charismatic lawyer um, was part of the problem. This is Michael Mm -hmm. Avenatti. But I think once it switched and we got into this kind of yin locker room banter between her her and Anderson Cooper and sort of relaxed into this isn't going to be I don't know. I saw I, I I thought their rapport was really interesting and the kind of accounts of how she slipped the knot of Trump's lechery was really interesting and try kind of tried to and you know, Anderson Cooper 
has a history of, you know, kind of admiring the some of the real housewives and of getting course. kind of chatty with Andy Cohen. And that is, um, I think, I thought that I saw that on display, that kind of, I don't know, it seemed like the way that honestly seemed like the way women talk to their gay friends about how they got you know, out of some horrible situation. He, this, he was the perfect person for this. He really he was. The, the, the weight and the gravitas of being a serious journalist who goes into war zones and interviews all sorts of you know, world leaders and politicians. But he can get down in there with a Real Housewives reunion. And uh, so he kind of is able to, in a serious way, talk about these more salacious details. And I thought that that was really helpful. Yeah. What, you know, when, that present. I mean, I was sort of thinking by contrast of Barbara Walters interview with Monica Lewinsky when she finally broke her silence and, you know, she was elaborately condescending and, mm-hmm. and for Anderson Cooper to say, well, in your industry, meaning adult films, porn, there's concern about condom use. Did you all use a condom? There just was something, um, neutral I think about him that and also what a detail that I wouldn't have thought remotely to ask about right like it just was absolutely and it respects and she said she said also I'm making money for the thing that I already did um and I thought that was good too because she's not been made a star by Trump she is you know allegedly very successful so anyway she was a star there yeah there were there was um a level of respect that I don't think other people have necessarily given her. And I think part of it is a sign of who Anderson Cooper is. And part of it is also a sign of the time that people are able to talk about these issues in a more nuanced, serious way than they would have in, in the nineties or you know even five years ago. So what did we, um, what did you take away from it? Cause I, I really feel like while we didn't get the video, there was still a lot of like richly interesting stuff in there about how the Trumps or how how the Trump syndicate silences people. There's there was something in Stormy Daniels' description. I don't think anyone except for some tenacious part of the base that believes all kinds of strange false things toward vindicating Trump. Everyone else said this sounds roughly true. It's consistent with the way the the Trumps operate, and um, and that's what I think we all want to see illuminated. I totally agree. And I also think that you had, what was her name? Karen McDougal? Yeah. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Just days before yes. give an account that was so strikingly similar down to very specific details about the kinds of things he told her about Melania and comparing her to Ivanka, that you had those consistencies so close to one another lends a lot of credibility to these stories. And again, I personally don't care if the affairs are true. And Donald Trump spent years calling in the press, trying to build up his image as a playboy. So I don't think that that is so uh, novel or noteworthy. But the fact that these things were trying to be covered up and that there is this operation of potentially trying to intimidate these women so close to an election that is news, and and that is something that you know his base or people outside of his base could and should care about. So Fox News is trying to play this as the media has tried to turn up a small sex scandal that, as we all all now know, doesn't damage people's impressions of Trump. Only confirms that everybody knows that he's a dog like that, and and we don't care anymore. 
um, but has tried to turn that into this campaign finance issue and that that's uh, a sleight of hand that is uh, deceptive. What did you think of the the campaign finance aspect of this? You know, it's it's something that is an issue. I was told by someone who is directly familiar with the Mueller investigation that there have been questions asked about payments made to women. So, mm-hmm. you know, Michael Cohen in his interview with me was very vocal in his denial that this was a campaign violation because he said he would have done it years before, he would have done it years after. This was simply part of his job unrelated to the campaign. But that is something that obviously the FEC is looking into now, but apparently according to the source of mine that that Mueller is also looking into as well. Cohen's defense when this initially came out was that he paid the $130,000 out of pocket because he's a family friend, because whatever other reason. Now, as I understand it from the ethics person and the um, other lawyers who have spoken about this issue, that if Cohen had been reimbursed by the campaign, it wouldn't have constituted a violation. But as it is, it's in excess, radically in excess of what he would have been allowed to donate to the campaign. And so that's where the violation comes in. Yes. Uh, When I heard that, I thought to myself, is Michael Cohen kicking himself for his initial defense right now? Yes. Um, I did not ask him afterward. Um, I can only tell you what he told me and that the last, I've interviewed him now a, a bunch of times and um, the the most recent round of interviews, he said to me, look, it, it seemed like he did not believe that Donald Trump was going to win the presidency. And so he had a very quick time frame with which to make this, go away. And he did it as he would have done years ago, he said. And (laughs) what he um, meant was, as I do every week. (laughs) Well, I asked him about that as well, if if he had done this before, and he cited attorney-client privilege. So Mm. he he wouldn't exactly go there. But uh, I think think the point is, my guess, my takeaway is that he thought he was probably going to get paid back when things went back to normal, Mm. that he made this split second decision to make it go away as he did in his job. And he thought that everything would go back to normal in a few weeks, the president would be back and and perhaps he would get reimbursed. Michael Cohen, I just I have to understand his psychology. I mean, from him to Jeff Sessions to Michael Mike Pence, I've seen I think we've seen a lot of men in this year who've taken a lot of shit and abuses of power and been kicked in the head over and over and come back for more. And Michael Cohen is chief among them. What did he what is he like? What makes a guy Michael Cohen? It just he seems like such you know a depressing figure. Mm. When I first interviewed the first time I interviewed him in the end of August, uh, he was not or he told me he was not talking to the president, that his lawyers and the president's lawyers had decided at that point it was best for them to not talk. Um, sure. I do not think that they were in close contact throughout the fall and the winter. And I know he was invited to the White House Hanukkah party and he went and there were fundraisers for the RNC in New York and Michael attended those fundraisers and, you know, they, they spoke and, and said hello, but that was pretty much the limit of their interaction. And then January rolls around and this story comes out and twice in the last month, Michael Cohen has been at Mar-a-Lago having dinner with the president. They talk with some frequency now and it's just, it's just interesting 
to keep in mind. Hmm. And so this was they were not talking for so long, and now they are. So what what does um, Michael Cohen's retainer look like? What I mean, did he give him an apartment in New York when they were working together? Does he does Cohen live in Trump Tower? He does not live in Trump Tower. He lives in another Trump building. He actually met Donald more than a decade ago because he and his family, his in-laws, owned several apartments in different Trump buildings. And he was on the board of one of the buildings and actually met, I think, Don Jr. first and gave a speech at the board meeting that Donald was there for. And Donald really liked the speech. This is how Michael tells it. Okay. I'll, I'll put that in there. Yeah. Um, and. Donald signed a copy of the speech, which Michael gave him after the meeting and said, you know, great job, great speech or something like that. And the copy still hangs in his office now. You know, his office, uh, he had to move out of his Trump Tower office when he left the Trump organization last January. And he moved into an office in 30 Rock. And it's it's an interesting little collection of uh, Trump memorabilia. There are things that are signed by the president. The Sharpie, there's a bobblehead of Don and Eric. There's like a glass, uh, I guess it's like a vase or a cup or something from an Eric Trump fund golf fundraiser that he's filled <laughs> oh with candy. There's a lot of Trump stuff. There's also a Captain America shield from the actual Captain America set. And I, I believe like a Captain America, one of those stress squeezy balls. Too. So it's an interesting collection of things. It sounds really impressive, all those stories. It, it, it is. It's a corner office in 30 Rock. It's pretty, it's, a, it's very nice. So does he have any other clients, Michael Cohen? He does. He does. Um, I don't know who they are, but he does have, have clients. And they're not in the Trump family? They are not in the Trump family. These are outside clients. And that's primarily, I think, what he's been working on since the president took office, because he's still his personal attorney, though. I don't know what matters he's been handling for the president. He has clients who are not related. I mean, if um, the other part of this is that if Trump accepted or we all accepted, there are certain people like, you know, the you know, the um, famous beginning of Anna Karenina, the all happy families are yeah. like an all unhappy families are unhappy in their own way. The, the story there is that Oblonsky is sleeping around and is kind of fine with it like his family's all yeah. kooky but he's whatever and then his sister Anna Karenina takes all these things so seriously that her soul is being destroyed and ultimately she's going to die over it so you yeah. can you can either do these things lit for comedy and Trump's usual way or you can get probably the way we and our friends would kind of have too much gravitas and you know too much ethical squeamishness about it so why doesn't Trump just say, yeah, sure, I went to the Ritz and I had some people pee on Obama's bed. Everyone knows I hate Obama. And it's it was hilarious. And like when in Moscow, you know, the girls are pretty. Who wouldn't sleep with Stormy Daniels? She's a hot porn star. And, you know, I'm Donald Trump. Did you see? Best sex I ever had. Marla Maples said it. And I've always been a big exactly. cheater. And I always talked to Howard Stern about how all the different girls I could have and that I would sleep with Ivanka. The fact that he pays hush money suggests a different side of him. You know, that's sort of the weird thing. And I think that's something that Mueller, speaking of the Moscow bed, that Mueller might mm -hmm. be interested in is that this is a guy who can be blackmailed. He's not a Oblonsky type. Sure. I mean, we know of now one instance, and if you count Karen McDougal getting paid by AMI is another two, 
where yeah. money was exchanged to keep a story out of the public. Now, I, I have no idea if there are any more. Michael Avenatti has said that there are other women who approached them, but those stories weren't vetted. But, I mean, there is a reality in which he hasn't paid other settlements, uh, that the settlements came only in the presidential election process, that before that, maybe he, he didn't try and silence them. I don't know. And I think you're right in saying this kind of went along with his image before. It, was, it wouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. And I think that's part of the problem now is that as stunning as these accusations are, they're not surprising to anybody. And so, you know, we're kind of immune to the realities of them because everyone expected that this is the kind of behavior that Donald Trump would engage in or would have engaged in. So I don't know. I don't know if if this is out of character to have made these kinds of settlements because I don't know how many of them he has made. It's certainly more understandable that these settlements would have been made in the middle of a presidential election. It did occur to me, and I have not been very good at predicting things, but as soon as the Stormy Daniels story broke, it did occur to me that we may sometimes see lawman Robert Mueller sit down with, or one of his teams sit down with, Stormy Daniels, um, and um, I want to see and, that scene in the movie personally. Yeah, exactly, um, and I, I hope that he says, "Like, I'll take this interview. You guys have uh, done enough. <laughs> <laughs> you guys talk to Darapaska. You guys put your feet up and must be exhausted." Yeah, <laughs> right. He's just casually going through the list of witnesses coming in. And, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. They'll schedule it. He'll schedule it on a federal holiday so everyone else wants to. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> we are not smearing Robert Mueller here, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, no. I would under- look. I would want to do that interview. She's a good. She's also a very interesting, important witness, and she would be talking about. Or, or wh- how is it germane to the Russia investigation? So I don't know that she is of interest here. Uh, I think the payments could be of interest for a couple of reasons. The first, I think, and this was discussed in the sixty minutes interview, was if. There was a, an FEC violation, and I don't know that there was, but if there was an FEC violation, that is a way that's legal. And, and any illegal action, whether it comes with a prison sentence or a fine, is a way to get people who may have been involved in other things that Mueller is interested in to talk. Mm-hmm. So to say, we have you on this, what we're really interested in is, is something else, but because we have you on this other thing, could that force that person to talk about and another issue that is of more importance to them. So I think that that uh, is something that could could un, unfurl itself in this investigation. It also happened in the middle of an election. So if they're investigating the 2016 election in general, this is part of now the 2016 election. And so I think it is relevant and germane for a couple of reasons. Okay, very last question. Do you think the person who allegedly approached Stormy Daniels on her way to a fitness class and who threatened her daughter with losing her mother, essentially. I mean, you know, I I feel like the rear-facing car seat, infant car seat, is a very, very authenticating detail, incidentally, for Stormy Daniels' testimony. This woman has been media trained, yeah. It's good. But um, that why isn't that man just Keith Schiller? I mean, she must have, right? Keith Schiller figures so prominently in um, Karen McDougal's relationship with Trump. I will tell you that I think if it, who knows? But we would know by now. No idea. I think that she would have just identified him. Yeah. 
right? Yeah, because she said she would know him. She said, I would know him if I saw him. Yeah, yeah. And she has seen Keith Schiller. So that, to me, made me feel like it wasn't any of the players that we know. Yeah. But, But I don't know. Well, I think she needs to do a police sketch and we, you know, you and I can probably figure out school of Keith Schiller people and I think we can crack the case, frankly. I think we we, we do our best Nancy Drew and Harriet the Spy and go for it. <laughs> I'm really, really looking for looking forward to your book, Born Trump. When is it out? It's out in June and it is just delicious. That's all I will say. Great. I, I look forward to reading it and thank you so much for being here, Emily. Of course, thank you. And that's it for today's show. But before we take off, this year's Slate's journalists will be offering expanded coverage of a set of crucial issues related to the coming midterms. Gerrymandering, voter suppression, and key legislative battles on the state and federal level. The plan is to offer new tools to help us understand how the electoral sausage gets made. We're asking listeners and readers to help fund our coverage. To find out how you can do that, go to slate.com slash voting rights. Again, for more details on how you can support this work, go to slate.com slash voting rights. Today's show was produced by Jason DeLeon, and our sketch was written and performed by Kate James. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast. 